I think a lot of us are taught um, and view the civil rights movement as something that is just ended and like as if like all the problems were just solved right there. White tears are not going to solve anything. I've seen a lot of people who claim they want to help and they want to be an ally, but then they end up victimizing themselves mm -hmm. instead of really paying attention to the issues at hand. They feel insulted, they feel insecure. I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, you can run home to a society that is naturally built for your success. Welcome to What We Will Abide. I'm Sam Schindler. I want to start off this episode by thanking my listeners and by offering something in the way of a minor incentive. If you write a review on iTunes, which makes it easier for listeners to find the show, I will read your review on the air. It doesn't matter if your review is full of adulation or full of excoriation. If you write one on iTunes, I'll read it. I think it's time to come to terms with the fact that I'm an old person. Well, not an old person in the literal sense, but despite the fact that though in some ways I feel no older than um, 18 or 19, in other ways, mostly physiological, my body tells me otherwise on a daily basis. I'm an old person in the sense that an entirely new generation has arisen beneath that of my cohort. They are becoming adults now. They are acquiring purpose and starting to reshape the world in their own image. In large part, I think this is a good thing. My grandmother, who died five years ago this month, worked well into her 80s. And she worked with women primarily, and she liked to work with younger women because she said that being close with and friends with and colleagues with younger people enabled her to stay relevant, enabled her to understand the world and kept her young. And as a teacher, I guess by default, I fall into that same category. Some of the people that I teach are known as millennials, and they take a great deal of guff. But some of them are pretty advanced and pretty mature and aware in ways that I never was when I was a teenager. Andrew and Isaac Schlager are two teenagers I'd place squarely in that category. They're young, but not youthful which means they think in ways that befit people who have a lot more world experience. They're identical twins, and truth be told, when I taught them in their freshman years of high school, I couldn't tell them apart. At one point, I think, during the year, Andrew had braces and Isaac didn't, so I skated on that one for a while. Then Andrew got his braces off and I was doomed again, so I relied upon handing back assignments and shouting out one of their names. When one of them reached for their paper... I knew who he was, and I was good for the rest of the day. Otherwise, I was totally at sea. That twin thing seems, at most, an amusement to them. They never seem to get flustered when people confuse them, one for the other, nor do they use it in any kind of occultist or mysterious way. This well defines their temperament in general. They came to the TBA school to discuss matters of race, gender, and sexuality, among other things. The conversation we had in mid-October ranges, and ultimately settles upon the need for continued action and a revitalization of the civil rights era. It's evident that this sentiment echoes louder now, a month and a half later. Um, I'm Andrew Schlager. I'm the co-president of the my school's diversity council. 
Um, I'm also an active member of my school's uh, uh, Gender and Sexuality Alliance and um, active member of the Green Committee and the uh, Feminists Unite Now. Pretty um, booked in that regard, but I'm an active member of all those organizations. And I also am uh, a captain of my cross-country team. Plenty, yeah. plenty of free time. Tons. Yeah, tons. <laughs> um, I'm Isaac Schleger, um, Andrew Schleger's twin brother, um, the older twin, actually. Um, <laughs> not that that matters, but um, I'm uh, not ahead of any of the um, clubs at our school. So you're useless, basically. Yeah, I'm useless. I'm just um, a sit-in. No, um, <laughs> I am a member of all the clubs that Andrew mentioned, um, Gender and Sexuality Alliance, Feminist United Now. Um, I'm also a member of the Green Committee, um, Diversity Club. I mean, it, it strikes me, of course, that um, people can't tell you apart when they can see you. So without the aid of, you know, even you know, with the aid of, of, of visual, which we don't have here, it's almost like, you know, yeah. six you got to paint that picture. You got yeah. to paint that picture. You got to somehow be distinct um, or not, as, as the case may be. <laughs> Can I go first? Yeah, you can go ahead, Isaac. All right. Um, <laughs> so now you know I'm speaking. Yeah. Um, so basically the environment in which um, I have my education um, is a private school that um, consists of a fairly um, homogeneous population. And so there's not much diversity, but there is some. And so knowing that a lot of the kids that go there are um, straight and white and cis gender, um, I enjoy pushing the envelope because um, there are a lot of discussions that aren't being had there because um, it just there are problems in society that don't pertain to them. Going to a school like the one we go to where there is a small student body, a lot of kids aren't faced with a lot of um, or confronted with a lot of issues that uh, deal with one's identity that manifest in schools with a large body of students, such right. as public school. You've made the attempt as part of um, the GSA and to some degree as part of the, as part of the diversity club to bring these issues to the fore. Do you think that you're gaining traction? Um, I think we have gained. I think we, I think we are. I think we have gained um, some traction. At least I, I can at least speak for our grade that we're in, um, like our class as a whole. Our graduating class. Yeah, our graduating class. Um, you know, it's it's still it's complicated. You know, um, confronting people about these issues, discussing these issues with people, because a lot of times we're faced with silence. Um, mainly because I think a lot of people either don't really have an opinion because they've never really thought about it, or they're scared to share their opinion because they don't want to offend me. The numbers uh, in our student organizations, uh, social justice activist groups. Um, such as Diversity Council and GSA have increased enormously. Yeah. A lot of times uh, people, I think, are just afraid when we talk to them about certain issues. My brother and I, we will outwardly talk to them, but the reason that people are silent or sort of are hesitant to have these discussions, especially as students, is they don't know if what they say is going to cross a boundary or step on someone's toes. They're scared that they're going to sort of uh, insult someone in any way, which that's one of the reasons why they're silent. Another reason is they <laughs> pretty much don't agree with our, our point of view and don't want to talk yeah. to us about it. I identify as a uh, 
multiracial um, queer person, like a multiracial um, queer person. So I'm bisexual and I'm also multiracial. Um, my mother's black, my father's white. And uh, I think that one of the things that I, I see with my cross country team uh, is it's a different atmosphere from when I'm at school. And it's a different peer group in general. It's a different, mm -hmm. different background that usually manifests itself at cross country, which is a city school. Um, and there's more diversity with race. But when it comes to sexuality, for example, um, not a lot of them know that I, I'm bisexual. I think I just didn't feel the need to like scream it out or like come in with a fairy costume and like sprinkle dust on them. <laughs> but uh, I think that is that the standard way of, of, of yeah. Oh, okay. It's either a Peter Pan costume or <laughs> a Tinker Bell. It's whatever you're feeling. Yeah, whatever you're feeling. Um, I had a discussion with one of my teammates. I consider them very close family. Um, we we do a lot of stuff together. Um, running, hang out. Uh, I came out to them. Uh, Last weekend, we were talking about sexuality and what would happen if one of the students or the, the members of our team came out. And I was like, well, it so happens. Yeah, yeah, it so happens this. And then we talked about, you know, sort of the atmosphere surrounding if you're especially if you're a guy on like on a guy sports team, the atmosphere of being gay or being bisexual, being anything other than straight mm -hmm. um, and sort of like the feminine uh, connotation that comes with that but we are talking about a lot of our humor on the team or the humor that comes up on the team has to do with like pretending to be like gay or yeah. like guys and I started this year questioning like why are you guys joke why do you guys joke about that like I don't know why what's up with like especially cross-country runners joking about like gay being gay like I don't know why that's so funny and they like really thought about it and they were like we were running in the middle of a run because we have discussions while running because it's forever. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know. I don't really know. Like, and that was that. But I was having a discussion with him. I'm like, do you think, you know, we joke about this all the time. What if a student, like, what if one of our runners came out? Like, would you be supportive? He's like, well, I, I don't think the team would care. Um, our team happens to be really close. Yeah. But there are kids on our team that do say um, the I'm F word, F-A-G, you know, that word. I, I refuse to say it. Um, Why do you refuse to say it? I consider it like the N-word for LGBT. Why do you refuse to say the N-word? Uh, I refuse to say the N-word because I feel like it's a word that has a very negative context historically. And I don't think um, I don't think it's beneficial for anyone to say it. Um, There's I, no circumstance under which you would ever say I it. I would never say no. it under any circumstance. What if you I, were in... I know I'm far afield here, but yeah. what if you were in a circumstance where you're with people... Who were using that word in a way that was familiar and and frequent and it you know didn't mean if they said what's up my to me yeah uh, my n-word to me i would be like hey what's up i wouldn't correct them just... though it's said in song lyrics right um and in many cases especially in particular with rap music uh -huh. it does not give you the authority to say that word people are going to be offended if you say that word if you go out into the for example in our school, I know people say that word behind closed yeah. doors. I know that they say that with their friends or jokingly, probably with all their white friends. Um, white people say white it. people say it with white people, yeah. I believe, especially students or kids. Um, but in the real world, you're gonna get the shit punched out of you if you ever they say it? went to a person of color on the street and sure. said that. So why would you say that with your friends if there's a person like if you know it would offend other people? 
I attended a school in um, Mainz, which is in the Rhineland in Germany, and being an American, um, you know, I, a lot American pop culture is very much present in Germany. Um, they play American music. A lot of the top hits on in their radio stations are American songs. Anyway, um, I was... That's the Marshall Plan in action for you, by the way. It's been working yeah. for some 75 years now. Yeah. Um, so I walk into this classroom and sit down, and um, three guys walk in, and they have... Andrew is wincing. German, oh, and the, the, one guy, <laughs> the one guy says in uh, German, like, who is that? And How's your German, by the way? Um, it was actually pretty good, and then I'm kind of losing it now that I can't speak it of anymore. Of course. Some, yeah, know, it's really frustrating. Go um, to Amish country and speak Pennsylvania Dutch with them. Yeah, um, but then this <laughs> this one uh, girl don't, says, don't "Oh, he's American," and so their faces like light up, and they just <laughs> like they and, and and then I make eye contact with them. I'm like, "Oh God, now, what's going to happen now?" And the guy's like, "What's up, my like my mother effing." n-word like what's up and then he goes to like dap me and i just like i'm just saying oh, it's it it's like this um he was white south, no no um, he was like he was either south asian like indian or pakistani or he was middle eastern i i do not know um but there were two his, his two friends his two best friends that walked up with him like oh like his homeboys came up and were like they were both white um and the, anyway, the guy goes to dap me, and I, I just kind of look at him, and I'm just like, "Oh my gosh! Like, how do I? I don't know how to react to this. Like, right now, I, I didn't, I didn't shake his hand, and so it was um pretty awkward. What do you think he was trying to establish in that moment? Now, again, this is somebody who's 17 years old, I'm guessing, yeah. and so there's a whole slew of identity things mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. What was he trying to do there? So I think he was trying to um, relate to me because you know he most likely listened to rap music and has heard that word so many times. But um, And as an American, yeah. you're an aficionado of rap music. As a potential person of color, you're exactly. like is that like what else is going on? Well, the first thing I had to put in context is here is this here's this guy who clearly, even though he knows what that word is, so he knows a little bit um maybe about American history, he does not have a clear understanding of um the depth behind that word, like the consequences behind saying that. And so I had to react in a way, like if, for example, if he was, you know, an American, I would probably like, you know, not be the nicest, it wouldn't be the nicest response. I wouldn't go off in his face, but I'd definitely be like, that's not cool. And I told him like, hey man, like, don't call me that. You know, he kind of was maybe, I think it was a little awkward. He was a little taken aback, um, but you know, I, I, I and I spent, like, throughout that month, I was actually spent, like, because, you know, listening to, like, American music and having that word drop, like, explaining to people, like, hey, please don't say this word. This Did it come offensive. up again and again? Yes. Um, I just don't, I don't think, you know, all Germans have that context of, you know, what the N-word really symbolizes. Um, I don't think they have the same, I think they do have, definitely, there's definitely racism in Germany. There's definitely xenophobia in Germany. But I don't think the problems manifest possibly in the same way that they do in America. Being a person that has an African-American family, you know, it's not like you see many African-Americans in Germany, or at least now that we pulled most of our troops out of Germany. Um, and so, you know, even though there's people of color there, still like the, I think African-American culture is unique in the way that, you know, 
it's so dominant in the United States. I mean, I would say hip hop is such a big part of our pop culture. And I think it's slowly kind of progressed to being at the top. So when you see, you see today is black culture being sort of, I hate to use this term, but like whitewashed or appropriated, um, I would say utilized by, by other people who aren't people of color, but that has become sort of mainstream mm-hmm. and used by that. And I think it's it's okay to embrace and celebrate black culture, but I think black culture needs to be recognized more than it is today. I think the, the respect for black culture is minuscule compared to um, what it should be today. What's, what's wrong, what's fundamentally wrong with straight up appropriation? It's people who don't understand a context of culture yeah. or don't have a certain, they don't have a deep understanding of culture and they're taking that and sort of um, making it their own in a set, but um, they are portraying it or conveying it wrongly or mm-hmm. in a disrespectful manner. And I would also, I would also add that it's, it's very frustrating to see someone who, you know, appropriates um, black culture and like uses and listens to black culture but then like again doesn't pay their respects doesn't acknowledge the systematic justice issues racism and that racism. affects the black community in the united states uh, with the proliferation of the black lives matter movement um you're smirking oh because we got black lives matter uh shirts and t-shirts sweatshirts and sweatshirts. For sweatshirts. Birthday. we've been wearing them like all week so <laughs> Oh, yeah. is it just your birthday? Yeah. Yeah, October 4th. We're 18, we can vote now. Yeah, we're voting. What resounds in my mind is the whole Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter thing. Mm. And you're, <laughs> oh. you're just sighing. So, like, I want you to talk about this, not me. But how often in the last year or two years have you heard the response to the Black Lives Matter movement being all lives matter? And I think that what you're talking about in the appropriation of black culture is inherent in that, right? Like, aren't we all the same? Can't we all just get along? Can I listen to black music and not have it be a political thing? You know, that kind of thing. So speak to one, you know, speak to that. Do you want to, Isaac, or do you want to go? Or I was going to, you can go if you want to, but okay. I can say something. So polite. One of the things that our diversity council is trying to do this year um, is sort of educate people about what the Black Lives Matter movement is. People don't understand that the, the Black Lives Matter movement, their message is to highlight the discrimination and um, objectification and racism towards the black community in America. What people don't understand this is the All Lives Matter movement was created to basically in a response of the Black Lives Matter movement to silence the issues that they're bringing yeah. to the forefront of society. Now, the All Lives Matter movement is basically not only vilifying the Black Lives Matter movement, saying that they only care about the uh, African-American community. That They're saying that they want to uh, elevate basically our nation to the point where black lives uh, rule above everyone else. Right. And that is completely false. It's such bullshit. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's bull. I think that, that the All Lives Matter movement is basically not addressing the issue at all and bringing attention to all lives, which all lives in our society are not affected the same and right. they're oppressed. Uh, experience the same amount of oppression systemically as the black community in our nation and the all lives matter movement was created basically 
to not only contradict the Black Lives Matter movement, but to silence them. If All Lives Actually Mattered, the All Lives Matter movement would support the Black Lives Matter movement. So the All Lives Matter movement, it's a movement to silence and whitewash, to, you know, coin, to use the term you coined, um, and say, let's please not bring up yeah. the past. The pa- let's forget it. Let's be very conscious about forgetting the past and just say, oh, everything's fine now, which of course it isn't. So it, it's mm-hmm. it's a big lie. So there is a conversation about race happening in our country right now, which I think is um, that wasn't happening when I was 17, 18. So what is your unique responsibility as 18 year olds absorbing, especially in a day and age when like, you know, social media, blah, 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 we didn't have that either. And maybe that's why, maybe this is a reason why it's happening now in a way that it didn't before. Again, not that people weren't aware, but we were not having a national conversation. What is your responsibility as 18-year-olds right now um, to, I don't know, what is your role in this national conversation? So I would love to answer that question if you don't yeah. mind, Isaac. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I consider myself an ally. And to be an effective ally, which a lot of, I see that a lot of my peers really want to be an effective ally, but a lot of them don't understand that being an ally, you cannot, you have to be able to be open to every single Can person. Can you define ally for just, because... I would say an ally would be a, su- a supporter um, for the rights of the oppressed. You surprised by his? I'm I am. I really am. I'm very disappointed the two of you have not argued with each other. So I'm hoping that it's probably going to happen. Oh, I mean, it's if, gonna if, happen you part B, part B, if you talk about our responses, if you talk about our responses, I mean, he's definitely way more. I went to a student diversity leadership conference last year. It was one of the best moments of my life. It really exposed me to um, a lot, a huge body of, of students um, from all around the nation who were experiencing multiple types of oppression and multiple issues based on their identity, where as an ally, I really need to shut the fuck up and listen to what they were saying. And I think that there are a lot of allies out there who aren't ready to take the back seat and really listen. A lot of them want to do, 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 but some of them don't realize that you are doing everything, you are doing the best you can when you sit back and you listen to these people who are telling their stories to you and you you help them, but you don't put yourself in a position where you're overstepping your boundary in helping them. As an ally, I've learned that I've done and said some things that were wrong and that were bad. For example, you want me to give an example? Well, yeah, but I was also going to say, are you an ally because you white pass? Because I white pass, I think that it makes me a more effective ally. I think we need to use, I think people need to use their privilege. I think it's really important that, you know, people first recognize their privilege and then use that privilege for social justice. White allies are great, but I think that they're essential (laughs) for society to change. We need to, we need people to, we need people to be able to sympathize with what's going on in society and other communities. But I think with a lot of white allies, um, that what they struggle with is really having to deal with criticism, not only of themselves, but of the white community. I think that people take a lot of things personally and need to understand that you, you take criticism and you change yourself and that's it. Do not, it's white tears are not going to solve anything. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. White tears are what really anger me. White explaining because a me. lot of I've seen a lot of people who white people claim they want to help and they want to be an ally, but then they end up victimizing themselves mm-hmm. um, instead of really paying attention to the issues at hand. For example, their emotional distress or their they feel insulted, they feel insecure. Yeah. I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, you can run home to a society that is naturally built for your success. I am a cisgendered man, okay? What I had to learn is that what men do in society is really awful to women. I think that a lot of men, they they tend to not listen to what women have to say in society. In particular, I think um, black women, they have that stereotype as the angry black woman and their emotions and their feelings and their problems are invalidated because of this stereotype. I need to learn to listen to them and really listen to what they're saying instead of tending to not take seriously what they have to say. I basically was saying that defending um, that sexism wasn't real in society. And it was so ignorant of me at the time, it makes me cringe every single time I look back at it. But I was also a freshman, that's not an excuse. And he was stubborn. Um, was stubborn? Is stubborn. <laughs> stubborn, yeah, thanks. That moment was critical and crucial for me, it, at, for who I am today. I mean. I wouldn't be able to consider myself a social justice advocate or a social justice warrior if I only fought for racial equality and um, sexuality equality, but didn't fight for gender equality. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. You know? And a lot of people don't understand that they all intertwine. They all intertwine. I just, you know, the only person I can speak for is myself here. And uh, frankly, I didn't really think along those terms until I would say maybe the last five or six years. So for me... Late in life did I kind of recognize my own deep-seated sexism. Um, try not to beat myself up for it, but um, I, you know, look it straight in the face. And I have my wife to really thank for, for showing me in really kind of gentle terms. Growing up, you know, I'm just reenacting the same stories, the same narratives that my parents learned. And it's almost not even their fault or it's not even my school's fault. It's not even the television shows that I watch fault because it's almost not done with intent. And yet we do need to indict it. We do need to point out and say racism, sexism, homophobia. We need to point it out because, and this is I'm charging you right now as 18-year-old kids, kids, men. I'm charging you and I'm saying, yeah, you need to continue doing what you're doing because my generation failed, saw it, but failed, I think. And maybe we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to make up for it now. We're, we're doing a, I don't know. Some of you guys, you guys are really making an effort now that you're older. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> because of us, I think. Maybe a well, bit. right. You are challenging us. You're like, we're not going to stand for it. What Are you? going to stand for it. I mean, we had a civil rights movement in this country. We had we had a counterculture in this country right before I was born. Mm-hmm. And if I look at my parents and I say, like, where the hell were you during the counterculture? Where the hell were you during the civil rights movement? They're, they would say... In mean, a society that benefits us. Well, yeah. They would sort of say, like, look, you know, we, be- right, we benefit. We're not going to bite the hand that feeds us. I think one of the techniques I... I'm sorry, guys, I keep yeah. talking. But I think one of the techniques I, I use... People don't know me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna take all your credit. <laughs> yeah, just Isaac. This is just one interview. Yeah, no, him. oh no, this is this is an interview with Isaac Slater. Yeah, forget Andrew. Andrew didn't come. <laughs> so, one of the things I I try to sort of explain to people in a way I try to galvanize their interest in being an ally because I know they know they're 
are wrongdoings in society with certain communities and because of people's certain identity. I think that what I try to, instead of putting it, like, grouping people, I try to really, like, explain to a lot of my peers that, you know, put into perspective of someone they know personally or sort of humanizing a situation where people, they hear a story from the eye perspective from someone who has been discriminated that they know and that they're friends with because it puts it them into the reality, like, why would I ever want that to happen to my friend or this person? I which love them really, or I like Which them. really does work. Which really works a lot better than, you know, pointing to, like, protesters on the, on the street that they don't know. That is one successful technique to get white people to really understand what's going on and really embrace the social justice movement of today i would say that this is a new civil rights movement or the civil rights movement has not ended. or the dawn i really want this to be the either however you want to look at it like civil rights 2.0 or the you know the renaissance of the civil rights movement or the continuation and and galvanization a revitalization of the civil rights movement in this country and i hope all over the world i really want this to be it and I, but I feel like, and this is the pessimism creeping back in, I feel like there are forces out there that are so strong that want to push it back down and keep it, you know, just and get and kill it. Like, like I think, you know, the Reagan 80s, mm-hmm. I think that was a very, very specific effort on the part of powers that be to put an end to civil rights. So I don't want to be in a position 10 years from now where... To say the same thing. And I really want this movement taken up by people like yourselves, younger people, to just keep getting bigger. And I, I, I fear what the backlash will be. So, yeah. One thing I noticed, um, especially that really, I think, separates our generation from older generations is... Well, there's one problem is I think a lot of us are taught um, and view the civil rights movement as something that is just ended and like as if like all the problems were just solved right there that that's one issue and i think another issue is you got the voting right act you got yeah. you know the uh, mm-hmm. integration of schools exactly yeah. well and i Done think and dusted. i think another big issue is especially what i see um with older generations um including some generations of people of color that have been so taught that they should be grateful for the rights that they had mm-hmm. um that there there's there's definitely like this this difference of, um, I don't know, goals that our generation has compared to other generations. What are, your, what are the goals? Really try and get rid of this systematic prejudice that is within our country. I was going to say, blow country. up the system. Yeah. The goal is literally, to blow up the system. I, I, yeah, and because it's obviously not doing well for anyone. Our generation pushes the boundaries, I think. I think the boundaries... I view the boundaries or whatever we consider as these boundaries, like things that we should or should not talk about, like things that we should or should not protest. Like, should we sit during the national anthem? Should we kneel during the national anthem? Like, should should we be upset at like every little microaggression that happens? And I say, yeah, we should be upset. And yeah, we need to approach that. And I think the generations before, you know, even if some of them, um, you know, were against racism, I think they were just they grew up in an, in an era that, you know, these things were happening constant. Like, you, you didn't view certain things as racist or sexist or homophobic because they were part of culture. And I think our generation is really calling out those 
things that are in within our culture and trying to remove them. And I think that's where you get like this whole backlash. And I think, you know, especially from middle aged to older people that are like, oh, well, these millennials, these kids are, are, are ruining what this great nation was founded upon. But it's, and what this and reducing this it to great. political correctness. Yeah, and exactly. Political correctness is, is a killer. Political correctness is a term that people tend to use. Um, but really, the term that we like to use is, is basically like uh, respect. respect and generosity and um, basically like your duty as a human being, like human morals. Like it's basically yeah. it's it's not this like political correctness. If you if you trace it back, it's basically being you know I, I would consider it like being cordial in a government setting. But what it, it has evolved as a term to so address to all these civil rights issues, which people tend. I don't like it. I mean, I, that term political correctness, it's not political correctness. It's politeness and respect. And if you don't have... And, and just not being an asshole. Politeness and awareness. And awareness. Yeah, it's awareness. It's awareness. That's, that's it. Awareness. And it's, it's something that eats at me every single day, but it's something that I will, you know, fight until the day I die. I think that, unlike you, uh, <laughs> I have more optimism about the world. Um, I'm getting there. I'm, I think my old age. our generation is push boundaries very far yeah. i think we've we've done a good job in that i think that our movement is only growing yeah and i, I think that yeah. um it's very you're the other the po- opposition is only dying i think mm-hmm. that literally dying literally though, like <laughs> um but i think that our, our society is changing and i will i will not stop until i i think that everyone in society is not systemically oppressed for their identity um for something they cannot control. And as a member of the other in society, I sympathize with what people are going through and I will not stop till these people, including myself, are able to live their lives without systemic oppression for who they are. That would be a great place to stop, but I don't want to give the final word to him. Yeah, well, dare you. it's your words, remember? Yeah, yeah, they're my words yeah. anyway. Um, no, oh. he's, he, he summed yeah, it up he really well. Brother, what's going on? When the things start going wrong Can't pretend but don't see where we are You told me things were gonna change You are listening to a song called Brother What Happened by the Money Magnolias. Their debut album, Broken People, is out now. Thanks for listening to this episode of What We Will Abide. You can find older episodes on iTunes, Overcast, and on my website, samschindler.com. Here's one last thought. The more I work on this project, the more I come to see the openness and generosity of all kinds of people. The band whose music you're hearing now, Muddy Magnolias, is a duo of women from Nashville. They were kind enough to grant me permission to use this song, Brother, What Happened? You can find the album Broken People on iTunes for just eight bucks, and it's well worth it.
take your love and spread it all. 